Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, a happy new year to you and yours. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to be here with you as we start 2023. And as always, thanks for joining us as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. Markets closed on Monday, so we're going to recap Friday's trade action here in just a minute, as well as take a look at a few uh, news headlines here throughout agriculture. And then coming up on the show today, going to listen back to portions of some of our uh, recent interviews with some of our uh, favorite economists here on the show. Chad Hart with Iowa State, Ed Usset with the University of Minnesota, and David Widmar with Agricultural Economic Insights. We're going to listen into portions of their interviews here from the past uh, week or two and, and listen to some of the uh, key highlights they shared with us as they take a look at the markets wrapping up 2022 and looking ahead here to this year, 2023, as we get back to more normal trading at 8.30 a.m. Central Time on Tuesday, and it'll be interesting to see how these markets react in a more normal trading session as we get folks back in the uh, trade here after the holiday, uh, the two weeks of the holiday period with Christmas and New Year's, and we saw some good moves in the market, but it'd be interesting to see things get tested under normal circumstances. One of the moves we saw, of course, was soybeans getting above $15 and holding there into the holiday weekend, and uh, that is something that I'll be curious to watch to see how that uh, uh, complex holds up or doesn't here under normal conditions. Corn testing support levels around that 685, 690 mark as well. And the wheat market found some good strength on Friday also to wrap up the year. So plenty to talk about in grains. Limestock had a bit of a down day on Friday. We're going to run through that here in a second. Also going to be watching, of course, the stock market and energies closely to see how they react as we start a new year, get that money flowing around. It'll definitely be an interesting trading day on Tuesday. Well, let's dive in and recap Friday's market trade first up here on the show. And again, Friday, we saw soybeans and bean meal extend gains along with the wheat market. Uh, all three wheat complexes actually uh, with good gains on Friday's session with corn just finishing quiet right around unchanged. Now, in the case of soybean meal, surged to a new contract high Friday, followed by soybeans, which closed higher but retreated from the morning highs. We saw March beans hit the highest level in over six months on Friday, spurred on by very scattered showers at Argentina ahead of the return of hot and dry weather. Adding fuel to the fire, USDA announced the new soybean sale of 186,000 metric tons to unknown destinations for the 22-23 marketing year on Friday. Soybean sales uh, in the last week were 25.9 million bushels, keeping total soy commitments of 1.584 billion bushels. That's 4% higher than a year ago. 
Now, the window for U.S. soy sales is soon going to be closing with Brazilian beans currently offered at a 70 cent discount to U.S. soybeans for February. In the meantime, it seems that long funds are more interested in Argentine weather and the declining prospects for that crop. The Buenos Aires Exchange pegged soybean conditions last week at a dismal 10 percent good to excellent. That's down two points from the week before with poor to very poor condition ratings rising to 28 percent. Now, Argentina, the number one exporter of soybean meal, extended dryness there would be very supportive for U.S. meal exports. Argentina is not totally devoid of rain with widespread showers uh, expected here yet again today of up to an inch and a half in the dry region of Cordoba and Buenos Aires. However, uh, we'll see 90 to 100 degree temps return to the belt there at Argentina for the rest of this week. So that's something to watch as well. The reopening of the Chinese economy is going to be a big storyline to watch here coming up as we get into this new year. The surging COVID cases there could throw a wrench into uh, the reopening of China's economy and more demand, helpful for demand. It's something to definitely keep our eyes on here as we move forward. Now over in the corn market uh, on Friday, futures traded both sides of unchanged on the final trading day of 2022. Closed down a penny across the board for the most part. Early strength, uh, we saw that get us to uh, key resistance areas around 685, 690, but the lower end of that range successful in halting the rally. And we're going to be seeing what happens here with this corn market. We do see that uh, domestic corn base is still the highest in 20 years. And nearby calendar spreads, they're being inverted. That suggests stronger demand than what we are seeing currently. Now, U.S. corn still overpriced for January to Black Sea and South America corn. But U.S. corn holds the edge from February forward. And concern is still an issue in Argentina. With the current crop now 63% planted, but rated at just 15% good to excellent and 28% poor to very poor. We'll be watching, of course, to see if U.S. corn shipments can pick up. That's going to be a big storyline the first couple of months of the year. Now, looking at the wheat market on Friday, again, we saw markets finish on a positive note. A lot of it probably just fund uh, funds position squaring year-end short covering scene. Kansas City March wheat closing higher for the seventh time in the past eight trading days on the day on Friday, while U.S. wheat export sales rose to the highest level in five weeks at 17.6 million bushels, but shipments they're still lagging the average pace needed and total wheat commitments trailing last year by 6%. Now, Russia continues to be the world's wheat wholesaler with the Russian ruble down again and leading to more aggressive sales. Ukraine and Russian wheat offers are, are pegged at a hefty discount to both EU wheat and U.S. hard red winter wheat as well. So a lot of things to watch. Weather in the U.S. going to feature a series of systems moving across the plains, but little of that moisture is expected to get into the arid southwestern plains, which definitely uh, need the moisture to try and help out this struggling winter wheat crop we are seeing an area of snow and ice across parts of the northern plains on monday and into parts of the northwestern midwest with uh, rain on the southern half of that and some severe storms down into parts of arkansas texas louisiana and parts of the tennessee valley I'm going to see some of those severe storms on the day, Monday into Tuesday. For the week last week, March corn was up 12 and a quarter cents. July corn was up 13 and three quarter cents. March soybeans ended up 39 and a half cents. July beans were up 40 and a quarter cents on the week last week. March Kansas City wheat, that was up 13 and a quarter cents. March Chicago wheat was up 16 cents. And March Minneapolis spring wheat was up eight and a quarter cents for the week last week. Now over in the livestock trade complex, didn't see much support through Friday's market as traders 
longed for the three-day weekend ahead of them. The cash cattle market did see some more trade for mostly steady prices with the week's trend. Hog prices closed lower on the daily direct afternoon hog report down 32 cents with a weighted average of 74.98. Friday to Friday, livestock futures scored the following changes. December live cattle were down $2.07. February live cattle up 15 cents. January feeder cattle down 30 cents. March feeder cattle were down 53 cents. February lean hogs were down 13. April lean hogs down 8 cents. And we saw that uh, really just overall kind of a choppy way to end the year in the livestock trade. We expect the cash cattle call for Tuesday to be higher with the cash hog call for Tuesday. That is expected to be steady. But again, overall, Friday's action was mostly lower day throughout cattle and hog futures. Lots well, of recap of the market trade wrapping up last week on Friday. And again, uh, markets will reopen Tuesday morning uh, here across the U.S. as we'll get back to normal trading conditions. Well, coming up here on the show, we are going to listen back to a couple conversations we had here in the last uh, few weeks of the year. Chad Hart with Iowa State University. We'll get to Ed Usset of University of Minnesota and David Widmar with Agricultural Economic Insights. They're all coming up next as we're back with more market talk on the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to Market Talk. Jesse Allen with you here. Thanks for joining us. Markets closed on Monday the 2nd in observance of New Year's Day. Listening back now to a conversation I had last week with Ed Usset of the University of Minnesota. Ed and I talk about the markets in 2022, some thoughts with marketing looking ahead here to 2023, and he also shares his thoughts on the expanding soy crush industry. Here is that conversation with Ed Usset of the University of Minnesota. Well, I think about headlines and maybe something to feed that bull market. I know we have China out there, whether or not they'll start buying more corn or, you know, more soybeans. Will that export window shut? South America, of course, top of mind. And we can't forget about the Black Sea region. Right. It still feels like some of those same elements are out there in the trade that we've had really all year long, Ed. They're there, but they haven't thrown us anything new lately. In fact, if there's anything new out of, uh, out of China, we got COVID and, and the problems that's creating for them. Not exactly bullish news. If we go to South America, if you want to talk weather, uh, the bulls want to talk about problems in Argentina. The bears will say, look a little bit north to Brazil. They seem to be doing just fine. And frankly, Argentina in the, in the world of grain production is kind of a little brother to Brazil. Brazil is doing well, and I think they are. That's, it sort of overshadows Argentina. It definitely does. Well, and I, you know, the next couple of weeks ahead will be more key for that South American weather. And I've been hearing a lot from folks, you know, if Brazil ends up having a big record crop, like they're saying, it may not matter as much as you just kind of alluded to. It may not matter as much about Argentina. It should, but if Brazil's got a huge crop, it might offset things so uh, to speak. They, they can not only offset they can more than compensate for argentina's problem if they deliver in a big way definitely so we think about that that's more of a what if in the market mm -hmm. as you look at things here as we're getting close to the end of the year i mean you know it, it's hard to we can't predict the markets i should say and it's it's hard for it's hard for farmers, I think, maybe here as they're sharpening their pencils at the end of the year. They're looking at their risk management plan. They're looking ahead to 23. 
I, I'm sure there's there's a lot of things out there we could focus on. What's top of mind for you as we wrap up the last couple of weeks of the year here and head into next year? What should farmers be thinking about risk management wise? Well, uh, you've got old crop issues. That is the crop you harvested just a few months ago that's sitting in the bin and new crop uh, opportunities. On the old crop, I'm looking ahead to the new year. And it wouldn't surprise me at all, Jesse, to see these markets a little bit on the defensive, particularly the basis, because I think a lot of producers had a very profitable 2022. They're on a cash basis. They don't want any more income uh, this year. So I think we're going to see some grain movement with the new year and the new tax year. And that could put prices on the defensive uh, for, you know, four to eight weeks. Uh, if nothing else, just easier movement of grain. New crop, uh, the, the opportunities for new crop sales, 2023, the December corn contract has drifted lower, but it's not low. I mean, it's still 595. It's still a decent opportunity to get started. If you haven't done anything, it might be a good idea to get, get a few sales on the books and then hope like hell that 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 idiot from the University of Minnesota is wrong again. <laughs> uh, same thing with soybeans, you know. And in fact, I've, I've told people in the past, Jesse, if you're a, a fatalist, if you think if you think I'm going to sell something and then the market's going to go up and make me feel dumb, trick the market, make a few little small sales and see if it, you know, just small ones, and uh, see if you can't trick it into going a little higher. Well, it's also paramount too, and I think uh, a lot of folks realize this, but maybe some you know lose sight of this uh, sometimes. If they're booking inputs or have already booked inputs for next year, if you don't have any sales of any kind on the books, you, you should have something to protect that risk of putting in what many are thinking will be a record price to plant a crop in 2023. Yeah. Ed, yeah, yeah. If you're if you're if you're booking one side of the you have to do more than play on half of the equation. <laughs> you got to be looking at the whole equation to make it work. Definitely. And one other thought back to the old crop side as well. Sometimes I, I hear some folks say the marketing plan is, well, throw it in the bin, set it, forget it. It's cold in the winter. I don't want to do anything with it. And then they'll just wait until they get to a point beginning of the new year and they make a sale. But I know some folks are, are maybe, you know, trying to, reshape thinking on that method and whereas you know look at maybe doing some different marketing strategies instead of just the old set it and forget it method ed a lot of different ways to price grain out there a lot of them and i can't emphasize enough to people you don't have to do it all one way you don't you don't have to do it all at one time spread it out uh uh, get rid of this thought that I'm going to find the high in the market. What you're searching for is a good average price. That's what you're really looking for. And I want to talk about a few other topics as well. And one that I know you wanted to touch on, and I thought this was a, a great thing for us to look at, is the uh, just the rapid expansion of the soy crushing industry. And I know this has been a point in this soybean market. We've been hearing about it all year long. And I can't count the number of soy crushing facilities that have popped up now here this year. What are your thoughts on, on the expansion in soy crushing and the impact it could have 
on this market as we look out, say, one, two, three, five years down the road? Yeah, I've, I've been giving this a lot of thought. It's uh, I can count the number. <laughs> I've seen reports on it and I keep a, a little notebook on it. Uh, I believe right now there are 16 over the last, this is over the last 18 to 20 months, there have been 16 separate announced either expansions of existing soy crushing facilities, or in some cases, brand new greenfield uh, production of new soy crushing facilities. Jesse, none of them are small. Nobody does things in a small way anymore. They're all big. Uh, It kind of depends on who's counting and how you add it up. But this uh, points to an expansion of our U.S. soy crushing capacity somewhere around, if it all comes to be, Mm -hmm. there may be a big caveat there, but people typically don't announce things if they aren't hell-bent to get it done. This could be a 25% or more expansion of our existing uh, soy crushing facility. This, of course, is driven by renewable diesel and EPA programs to go that direction. And their recent announcements uh, give you some, make you wonder a little bit. They're, mm-hmm. they're not exactly wholehearted into it. But what it comes down to is you, you start to, you start to play with the math and you say to yourself, okay, if we're going to be crushing another 600 million bushels in four or five years, where are those bushels coming from? So I do a little back of the napkin scratching uh, with, with the math and I, and I come up with somewhere 10 and a half, 11, 12 million more acres of soybeans are needed. And of course, you see, we, we don't have any more acres to get 12 million more acres of soybeans, we've got to take it from somewhere. We got to take it from wheat, from corn, from cotton. I don't know where. Uh, others have said, I've heard people say, well, well, we just won't export as much to China. That's easily said, you know, but if they want soy, that's a competitive thing that'll be fought mm-hmm. in the uh, battlefield of, of the market uh, and prices. By the way, I'm conservative when I say 12 million more acres. I saw a report out of U.S. Wheat Associates. I don't know how they do the math, but they think it needs 20 to 25 million more acres. An economist out of Cobank said 18 million more soybean acres. What it makes me think of is uh, rewind the uh, time machine, go back 15 years when ethanol was in this Mm -hmm. growth spurt. And it was demanding more and more corn acres. That didn't just affect the corn market. It affected all markets. Because if, in fact, we get 5 million more acres of corn, we got that much less wheat, that much less soybeans or something in the mix. And it upset those markets. So I think this next uh, three, four, five years, as these plants are built and they open and assuming they all get done, it's going to be one heck of an interesting time to see how this acres battle plays out. I think if it if it happens as they hope it happens, it's friendly long term to soybean prices and in fact other grain prices, cotton prices, the whole works. Mm-hmm. But it's not something we can bet on in the next two months. It's something we're going to watch develop in the years ahead. 
And again, that's a conversation with Ed Usset of the University of Minnesota. Up next, Chad Hart from Iowa State University back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Jesse Allen with you here again. Markets closed on Monday, January 2nd. We'll get back to normal trading on Tuesday the 3rd. We're listening now to a conversation I had last week with Chad Hart, economist in Iowa State University, walking through the year that was in the markets of 2022 and looking at some of the factors impacting the markets here as we start 2023. Here's that conversation with Chad Hart from Iowa State University. Good spot for us to start is looking at markets here in 2022. It's been an interesting year, obviously, a lot of volatility, a lot of news items, a lot of geopolitical issues out there, weather. There's been so many different factors as you kind of stop and pause and look back at 2022. What stands out to you here? What should we have learned from this year watching the market trade? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it this way. If we could sort of freeze where we're at today, I think a lot of farmers and ranchers across the country would be happy. Yes, we've seen tremendous amount of volatility in a, in a lot of our agricultural markets, but for the most part, that volatility has worked within farmers' favors. You know, we've seen incredibly strong prices sort of across the board. Yes, our costs are rising, but there's still a lot of profit margin to be had out there across our commodity complex here. And so... We're going into 2023 in a, actually some really good spots as we look out there in terms of pricing and marketing. I think the challenges as we look forward will be looking at some of our production challenges as we look forward. You know, the, the drought that has continued for the last basically two and a half to three years. The challenge of trying to reestablish or rebuild the cattle herd as we're looking forward during, you know, the next couple of years as we're looking out there. And then trying to, let's call it, find the floor underneath our international demand out there. Because when we look here at the tail end of 2022, domestic demand for our products remains incredibly robust. It's the international demand where we may be seeing some struggles as we look deeper into the data. Well, looking at that data, Chad, and looking at that export demand, I'm glad you brought that up because I think to me, that's maybe one of the single biggest issues heading into 2023 China, obviously, that's a big topic of conversation, has been for months looking at their demand, the COVID issues they have, their relationship with Brazil, uh, the reshuffling of the deck chair, so to speak. That seems to me like that could be maybe the single biggest issue that we could at least see on the horizon heading into 2023, Chad. Well, and you mentioned China, and I'm going to say that's that's the biggest deck chair that's moving around, but I want to point out that's not the only one as well. So what we're seeing out of China is a fairly strong pullback across many of our commodities when it comes to those international purchases. And this is sort of, let's call it the boomerang effect of the phase one trade deal. When you think about the surge that we saw out of China through 2020 and 2021, a lot of that was written in because of the phase one trade deal. Now that we are here in 2022, looking forward into 2023, 
The idea is that deal no longer holds for us, so we don't have those sort of guaranteed sales. And we're seeing China pull back and redistribute those purchases across the globe. And yeah, Brazil has been a major um, benefactor of that as we're looking down the line. But I want to point out that, you know, what we're seeing in China is not the only place where we're seeing that pullback. In fact, when we look at some of our commodities, and especially here, I'll probably pick on corn and pork as we're looking forward into 2023, we've seen just a general pullback across the globe where we're seeing concerns about the global economy and how that has, you know, started to wear down on those international customers, whether I'm looking at Southeast Asia into North Africa or across Latin America, we're seeing in general this shrinkage of demand as we look outside the U.S. Well, and with corn too, specifically, I, I mean, obviously we look at prices on the board right now, they're still holding fairly fairly good levels for producers to look at marketing here heading into next year if they're looking to market old crop right now or even new crop 23, 24 in some cases. Uh, because as you mentioned, some of that demand waning, the cost of inputs going higher. I mean, there's so many factors here, but I remember one of the first times I heard you speak, it was, I believe during like 2013, 14, one of the last big cycles we saw. And the biggest thing you pointed out is that for every cycle that goes up, we come down. Yep. And I feel like we're at that point to where we're at the top of this cycle. And now the question is, when do we come down, Chad? And I feel like it's going to be sooner than later. Well, I'm going to argue we're already coming down in a certain sense and have been for a little bit here, but it's a different way than what we saw in 2013. When you think back to 2012, 2013, what we saw were incredibly strong price and cost swings. But the idea is we saw, you know, rapid prices up and rapid prices down. I think this time around, we saw the, the, the rapid escalation of prices. But in this case, I think we're going to see a, let's call it a slower erosion within prices over time, which means costs are going to remain higher longer than they did back in the previous downturn. And so I think that's the big difference as we're looking here, because when I think back to 2013 and the, and the big fall there, it was a case of demand had already pulled back and then supplies just vastly exceeded that. We're not at that stage right now. As, as we see right now, you know, yeah, international demand's been shrinking, but let's face it, production has been cut as well. Mm -hmm. And when I'm looking here, they seem to be more in, if you will, in better balance, and that's helping hold our prices at these higher levels. But that profit margin is getting squeezed as we move forward here and will continue to get smaller and smaller as we look further out into the future. Well, and especially on the corn side, the supply is very tight still. Um, globally, here in the U.S., the supply is very tight. And obviously, we're watching South America to see what kind of a crop they grow in Brazil, Argentina, and then obviously U.S. crop here in the spring to see if we can replenish some of that supply. And then that's going to tie into the de demand picture as well. But uh, I, to your point, you know, if corn can hold here in the upper fives, low sixes, you know, that's that's a pretty pretty solid level here to market a crop if you're smart about it and can work the balance sheet with your inputs going into next year, Chad. Yep. And I think that's the big key here again, is that when we're looking here, just like we talked about in 2013, 14, it is a matter of managing that margin. 
And in this case, I think, you know, and I've seen a lot of market analysts over the past, especially six months, talking much more about, you know, pairing up sales with input purchases and trying to maintain or lock in that profit margin with every move that we're making as we're looking forward here, because we recognize that, Hey, those things, you know, those profit margins have been slipping, especially as we compared to summertime right now, we do see some worries about, like I say, international demand as we look out there and we expect those to be long lasting, at least here over the next year or so. And so that means you have concerns about prices continuing to work their way lower And therefore, yeah, keeping an eye on the price, the profit that you get from that crop is crucial as we look forward in 2023. Chad, let's talk this soybean market and the soy complex. I I get a feeling as I talk to some traders and even some farmers that they're, they're a little bulled up in soybeans here with all the potential demand with renewable diesel, with crush plants. You know, you think about the expansion uh, of crush plants here in the U.S., but it still feels like it's a few years off, yet it seems like these markets just got a little bit of a bullish tone where we're getting, you know, higher highs and lower lows here towards the end of 2022. We're kind of shrinking that narrow window, testing that resistance around $15 beans. I, I don't know. I, I I get this sentiment from some folks that they're they're still bullish this soy complex going into next year, even though some of that demand on the horizon is is not going to be here just quite yet. Yeah, I think that's going to be the challenge here. Is everybody's we see a wave of coming. It's again a question of how big it will be, and and you know how do you need to prepare for that? I think the the reason for let's call it that near term bullishness right now is if we look back over the just this month, you know, within within December, we saw, you know, the early half of the month was basically driven by meal demand. We saw a nice surge there and we're holding on to prices as we end the year. And now here at the very tail end of the month, we're seeing oil sort of pick up where be, where meal left off. And so there is enough demand out there to, yeah inspire a little near-term bullishness here, but we also have to wonder, you know, will we get soybean production ratcheting up before some of that renewable diesel production gets online? And so, you know, there's going to be a bumpy ride here as we try to, again, keep that balance between supply and demand here because, you know, the timing of these plants, um, you know, when, you know, how many will be built, when will they come online and will they be running at full capacity if they are built are, are major issues that will determine how big a splash that renewable diesel push has truly on soybean demand. Well, and a lot of folks are comparing this to the original ethanol expansion in the mid to early 2000s. Will it be the same? Will it be slightly different, uh, you know, lower to your point? I, I think that remains to be seen if it'll be as big of an explosion, you know, as ethanol was here for, you know, for the corn market. Will it be the same for the soybean market? I, I, I agree with you. I think that just remains to be seen on some of those factors, Chad. Well, I think it does, too. But I will say, you know, that I, I would sort of agree that it, it's similar in the feel to what we saw with ethanol. I'd say the difference here, though, is with ethanol, it sort of caught a lot of the market off guard. Whereas this move, no, the market is fully anticipating something here. And in a certain sense, I could argue that a lot of the price movement that's expected from this move, it's already somewhat baked into the market now. 
And again, that's a conversation, part of my conversation with Chad Hart from Iowa State University we had last week here on the show. Again, markets closed on Monday, January 2nd. We'll get back to normal trading on Tuesday, January 3rd. Coming up next, before we wrap up the show, we'll listen to part of our conversation with David Winmar of Agricultural Economic Insights. Back with more Market Talk of the Way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to the show. Jesse Allen with you here as we wrap things up today. We're going to listen to part of my conversation with David Winmar of Agricultural Economic Insights, AEI.ag. They have a lot of great research they do into the ag economy and the markets. And David and I talked uh, recently about the year that was in 2022, looking ahead to 2023. Here's some of the top issues that are on his mind here. Let's listen to that interview with David Winmar of AEI. Can you point to maybe one or two items that you felt like were a bigger catalyst, a bigger storyline in the market than maybe some of the others? Because I know there was a lot of things out there. What on your mind, what was the, maybe the one or two biggest things that really impacted the markets in the ag economy here this year? Well, I think one market that was significantly impacted was the farmland market. You know, this is not one that's, you know, traded every day on, on the boards like like some of our commodities, but we had this combination of at the beginning of the year we had career low interest rates and then we had this commodity price uh, explosion to the upside and that fueled the profitability in the farm sector. And so we saw farmland values uh, reach really high metrics, really high numbers. Farmland values in Indiana, for example, were up 30%. I'm not sure what 2023 will have in store. There it all indications that I've heard so far say it'll probably be up again, but that 30% mark, we've only seen those once or twice in a career type movement. And so I think that was one of the, the big changes that we've also seen. I think another, um, you know, I'm not going to answer your question very good here, Jesse. I'm not going to stay, stay away from these corn, soybean, livestock contracts. I'm going to talk about the Federal Reserve and the markets that they have impacted. I think when we look back at this, I believe uh, all of these 75 basis point hikes, I think when you step back, what, over 400 basis points, 425 basis points of interest rate movements. Um, we have not seen anything like that in the last several decades. You have to go back to the 80s. And in the 80s, it was even bigger magnitude, uh, something like a thousand basis points. But we had a really big change here. I think, you know, we tie those things together. They're going to have a long lingering impact heading into 2023 and beyond. You brought up farmland values. I want to dive into that just a little bit more as well. I know uh, we just recently got the ISU study out, and I believe that was a little over 11000 uh, was the average price for an acre of farmland. And, uh, you know, I see that, and we hear about some of these record land sales that we got. And, you know, you, you brought up, you know, some great points there. I almost wonder with, you know, some of the supply chain concerns that we had, and I believe the ISU study noted this, you know, it seemed like farmers had a little more liquid, you know, assets, more cash on hand because they weren't buying equipment. So instead they bought land. And I wonder if that helped to maybe drive some of these prices higher as well, David. There's a lot of things going on in the farmland markets. And I think that could definitely be part of it. One of the things that surprised me is just the number of, farmland sales that we've seen over the last 18 months usually when you have a lot of farmland on the market it's, it's going to depress the market but we've actually seen really high valuations despite uh, a lot of land going to the sale so i think that helps uh 
fill in the, the narrative that you mentioned there, Jesse, about farmers being able to go and make a lot of purchases. I think we step back and look at it from a you know 30,000 foot perspective. We have really high cash rental rates, really high farm profitability. And in general, now the Federal Reserve's changed its outlook a little bit in the last several months, but we've had a low interest rate environment, meaning that buyers of farmland were willing to pay really high prices for those assets to lock in those annual payments. So that relationship between revenue and asset values uh, in a lot of cases have been at all-time lows or near all-time lows. And that's what's driving that. I think as we head into 2023, we're going to have to start to deal with this higher interest rate environment, which could be a bit of a headwind for the farmland markets. But you know, I think thankfully we still have strong commodity price outlooks and that's going to help hopefully improve the revenue side of the equation and help uh, farmland values uh, in that respect, heading into 2023 and beyond. What are some things that other things that are on your mind as we head into 2023? To get things started off, the first thing we're watching is the ending stock situation, not for any specific commodity, but for all commodities around all countries in the in the world. There is just an overall tight stock situation. Why is this important? Because when we have uh, supply shocks, be it an invasion in Ukraine, a big grain producing part of the world, or maybe a drought that could unfold. That is the backdrop. And that's sort of like a lot of uh, gunpowder sort of stored away. And if we have a small ignition, these markets are going to be very dynamic and very explosive to respond to. This tight ending stock situation is going to continue and maybe even get tighter as we get these final numbers uh, for the current crop. And we start to line that up for the next growing season. The second piece we're watching really carefully is this Western drought. Um, you don't have to take a look at the drought monitor too long from a year ago to this year. Um, I'm going to hit pause real quick. There's always a drought somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and there's always some amount of drought in the Corn Belt. But what we have seen is, you know, this severe drought starting in the western parts of the Great Plains. This is, you know, key for where we're raising wheat, some dry land corn. And it's starting to spread its way across the plains and into the, the far western edges of the of the Corn Belt. And so this could start to set the stage uh, for some uncertainty and again, maybe some up potential here in these commodity markets if that unfolds and then of course the last piece here that we're watching is just all this geopolitical uncertainty and how that fits in with respect to this high cost structure producers know that what makes these margin squeeze periods so difficult is typically commodity prices adjust way faster than our cost of production can and so when we plant this record expensive crop going into 2023 we want to be very careful because any downward movement commodity prices uh, could be especially difficult given the high cost structure we have. And again, that is part of our conversation last week with David Winbar of Agricultural Economic Insights, AEI.ag. Thanks to him for joining us, as well as Chad Hart from Iowa State and Ed Usset from the University of Minnesota. Just doing a little more uh, recapping of the year of the markets and looking ahead here to 2023. Again, for the week last week, no market trade on Monday. We saw March quarter up 12 and a quarter cents, July quarter up 13 to three quarter cents on the week. March soybeans were up 39 and a half cents. July beans were up 40 and a quarter cents. March Kansas City wheat was up 13 and a quarter cents. March Chicago wheat was up 16 cents. And March Minneapolis wheat was up eight and a quarter cents for the week last week. Livestock trade wrapped up the week moderately lower on Friday. We'll get back to normal trading on Tuesday morning. That's going to do it for this episode of Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk with the agmarket.net team as we get back to normal trading in the markets. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, wishing you a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 
when it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com.